This morning's sermon is an introduction to a series on the fruits and fruits of the Spirit that I have decided as a series to delay. God willing, we will uh, be looking at those together. The first set of fruits of the Spirit in Galatians are love and peace and joy, which would work well at the Advent season. And today we will have the introduction to that series. We also have some time in John that is being deferred, and we might have some Christmas text to look at in Advent. But after next Sunday's stewardship emphasis, um, and after yesterday's leadership training for uh, our study, you've already heard about this service and in preceding services, and we'll hear about again today, the reason for God. The suggestion was made to me that it might be a good thing to have a series of sermons which tracked with those studies. I prayed about it and meditated on it and thought that was a good idea. So after next Sunday's stewardship emphasis, we will begin a series on the reason for God and sometime soon be picking up a series on the fruit of the Spirit, the introductory sermon of which... God willing, you're going to hear today. The text for that message comes from Galatians, the fifth chapter, and we will begin reading with the 16th verse. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you. Just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. This is God's word. Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The Bible teaches us that the natural state of our hearts and minds is enmity with God. That's why the first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Our natural disposition, our natural bent, is warfare with God. That's why Paul, in the fifth chapter of Romans, calls salvation itself peace with God. So according to our text this morning, the Christian life has two warring sides in it. You have a side that wants to live for yourself and you have a side that now desires to live for God. So there's a new fight which emerges in the born-again life. 
You are no longer fighting with God, you are fighting with yourself. It's a new kind of warfare. In one of the best books I know on the Christian life, entitled The Fight, by John White, John White says in the Christian life there is not only an inner peace, there is an inner struggle. A new battle emerges in the human soul. And this is a warfare which Paul calls the good fight. Fight the good fight. The old fight was a bad fight. The old fight was against God, and you had to lose that. The new fight is against yourself, and you need to win that. The old fight was one which, in the very doing of it, the very fighting of it, was disintegrating. The soul was hurt and wounded and dissolved. This new struggle, this new fight, is ennobling. It builds up the spirit. Our text today, you've heard it, commends us to walk in the spirit and gratify not the sinful desires of the flesh, for the flesh wars against the spirit. So there is a good fight in the body and soul of every follower, disciple, and believer in Jesus Christ. Now our text today is in large measure two lists, lists of virtues and of vices, and he calls the vices works of the flesh, and he calls the virtues fruits of the spirit. Now clearly works of the flesh, by flesh we don't mean evidences of the body, but that principle of life which is in warfare with God and rebellion at God, which stands against God, and as if to make this crystal clear in this list of vices, there are many things which have nothing to do with our bodies. Strife and envy and jealousy and anger and warfare itself. Now, in dealing with the text, I wondered why Paul mixes so many metaphors here. Why does he talk about works of the flesh and fruits of the Spirit? Why not works of the Spirit? And my first attempt to answer that question was, well, perhaps Paul is trying to say that works of the flesh are works of our energy. They take effort. They're products of the human soul. In some sense, they are. But I said, that doesn't exactly work because uh, many of these vices are effortless. Anger, when we think we have been wounded, just bubbles up in us as quickly and easily as blood from a wound. Or uh, envy blisters up in us just as quickly and effortlessly as paint bubbles when we apply paint remover of a strong nature on it. There's a certain effortlessness to it. So I doubt that Paul uses the word works because they require effort to produce. A bad tree produces bad fruit effortlessly. I think the Bible speaks of the flesh to indicate, though, it is our work and not God's. By contrast to the works of the flesh, the works of the principle of life which is in rebellion to God, Paul speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. Why does he refer to fruit instead of works? In view of what we've seen so far, 
I think the reason is that Paul wants to avoid any impression that what the Spirit produces is our work. It's not our work, but His fruit. What we do when we walk by the Spirit is simply to fulfill the desires that the Spirit has implanted in us. Works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. Paul underscores this in verse 18 where he doubles down the phrase of fruit and walking by saying that we're to be led by the Spirit and stresses the Spirit's initiative and the enablement of the Spirit as a gift to the believer to fulfill God's law and purpose for our lives. Now, Paul doesn't leave it just there. He does complicate the image. He he deepens the metaphor by saying that this fruit, which is produced by the Spirit, also involves human participation. So he adds these images, these active verbs of being led and walking by the Spirit. When we walk, there is active participation, there is active energy, there is active engagement. So the Spirit produces his fruit, but he does so by inviting us to participate with him, to walk with him, to walk in the Spirit. The text is also very clear that we can do the right thing for the wrong reason and that we can do the greatest acts of selflessness, seeming selflessness, but we have we do them not, 1 Corinthians 13 says, without that first and greatest fruit of the Spirit, love, they avail to us nothing. You can give your body to be burned. You can give away all you have. And if you do it without love, that is to say, it's not as the Spirit's fruit, It avails you nothing. Not only what we do is important, but how we do it. Being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, producing fruits of the Spirit. How is it done? I want to suggest seven practical overlapping steps as how we can walk in the power of the Spirit together. And for the first four, I want to borrow the 18th verse of the 5th chapter of Ephesians, where we have that pithy, powerful command, be filled with the Spirit. When we hear that initiative and we analyze what we are being told, be filled with the Spirit, the first observation is that it is imperative in mood. Be filled is a command. Be filled is not an option. We are to be led by the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and filled with the Spirit just as imperatively as we are to be faithful in our loving, faithful in our stewardship, faithful in our prayer life. It isn't an appendage or an option of the Christian life, but a mandate. Be filled with the Spirit is an imperative in mood. Secondly, it is plural in form. The entire church, not some here, not some there. There is no such thing as individualistic Christianity. Beth uh, spoke movingly about the privilege we have to instantiate to such a robust degree in this fellowship what all Christian communities give testimony to, that we are a family together, we are a body together, we belong together, we are a corporate life together. Be filled in the Spirit as an imperative and as a corporate imperative. We all, without exception, are to be led by and filled by and walked in the Spirit. It is plural in form. Thirdly, 
be filled with the Spirit is passive in voice. There is a much to do in walking in the Spirit, but the first thing that is to be done is passive. There is a releasing. There is a letting go. The text doesn't say fill yourself up with the Spirit, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, to be sure, the Spirit cannot fill a heart which is already full. So our participation is in large measure passive. It's a releasing. It's a relying on. It's a leaning into the Spirit. It is imperative in form, plural, intense. It is passive. And fourthly, it is also present. Be filled and keep on filling up in the Spirit. I think I've shared with you one of my favorite quotes of John Wesley when one of his followers came to him and said, uh, Mr. Wesley, have you been filled with the Spirit? And Wesley surprised him by saying, yes, man, repeatedly. That wasn't what was being looked for. Well, how so repeatedly? And Wesley said, well, because, man, I leak. (laughs) We need to be filled with the Spirit and in the present tense, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Be, keep on being led by the Spirit. Keep on walking in the Spirit. Three more. Returning to the text at uh, Galatians. There is, uh, in part of this passive movement, an appropriateness to confess our helplessness. The Bible tells us, without you, we can do nothing. Now, of course, in some senses, there are things we can do and do do without him. We can sin. We can rebel against him. But we can do nothing good. Nothing which counts for life in the spirit without him. Paul writes in Romans 7, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. So walking in the Spirit and relying in the Spirit involves in large measure acknowledging our emptiness without Him. Secondly, or or sixthly if you're counting, we can also release our lives in prayer. Finally, prayer isn't a set of requests to God. It is the entry into a relationship to Him and with Him. Pray deeply. Marinate your souls in prayer. We cannot do anything pleasing to God without the constant enablement of the Spirit. Listen to Paul in 1 Thessalonians as he prays for the chief fruit of the Spirit. Now may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all people. Hebrews 13 And now may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. We admit our powerlessness. We storm the gates of heaven with our prayerfulness. And then seventh and lastly, we do act. We do walk. We do participate. We do work out our salvation in fear and trembling. I've saved this to last, though, to show that our action, our participation, our involvement is always a step of grace. 
it is always a consequence of having been given and having received. It's not step number one. Philippians 2.12 says, Beloved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, because God is at work in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. I wish every one of you could worship with us inside the gates of San Quentin. It's a room full of earnest, spirited souls who have had life stripped down to the basics. They've been forced to look at life with fewer illusions and with fewer distractions than many of us have. Those who come to Christ there and with whom I have spoken at some depth have a bedrock seriousness about things of the faith. Last night, their worship team and our choir sang about the Spirit. The congregation joined them singing for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit might anoint that room and anoint that time. And it came from the dais and it went out to the congregation and there was almost a palpable presence in the room and I believe the Holy Spirit answered. We have not so many of us because we ask not. Off the coast of South America, the Amazon River carries 20%, I learned this week, of all of the fresh water of the world into the ocean. It does it with such an amazing force and power that it sends a stream of fresh water 100 miles out into the Atlantic. During the 19th century, when many ships would uh, come from Europe to South America and then be becalmed in what was literally technically called the doldrums, their supplies of water would diminish, they would uh, be in peril of dying, and some ships did for lack of provisions and for lack of fresh water, all the while, unbeknownst to them, being surrounded by one of the largest streams of fresh water added a hundred miles it became brackish but my source said it was uh, still able to sustain life so rather than being in want they were surrounded by great abundance many of us much of the time in our Christian living live, live lives which are weak and wasted when we are surrounded by the abundance of the power and the presence of the Spirit of God. We have not, because we act, ask not. There are reaches of the human experience that we have never touched. There are depths of God's joy and intention for us that we have never experienced. There are dimensions of his love that we have never participated in because we have not leaned deeply into his spirit. This week and this life, fight the good fight. Walk by the spirit and let the spirit's fruits be manifest in you. Living in a holy God, we are thankful that you have brought peace to the warfare which is our lives before you and without you, and that you have in initiated 
a warfare now in us with our old self and our old natures and the new spirit you have given. We pray that we might lean deeply enough into your spirit that your fruits of love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness and self-control might be expressed and exhibited in us to your great glory. For it is in Jesus' name we pray.